Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. The broadcast today is coming to you live from Austin, Texas. We're doing it back in our studios, thankfully, and uh, enjoying some wonderful uh, technology challenges. As always, when you combine this much technology, it's always a fun. So it's coming to you live, and uh, we're thrilled to have you be a part of the broadcast. We've got a special guest today. We've got Logan Motashimi. Uh, I'm really excited about Logan being on here. If you heard David Stevens' broadcast last week, you would have heard him mention that he had an email dialogue, or excuse me, a Twitter dialogue um, conversation going with Nick Timros and a couple of industry professionals. Uh, Logan was the individual that he was having that with, uh, that dialogue with. Fascinating discussion, and we're excited to have Logan on the broadcast a little bit later. We also have uh, the normal lineup of our guests. We've got Tony Garitano giving us some thoughts on the technology. We've got the Prophet Doctor back. He was missed the the last week, but we're glad to have him in the house. We've got a full lineup of everything going on. And, of course, we want to start off by saying thanking our special sponsor, uh, United Guarantee, for being here with us. United Guarantee has got the QMI product that is now QMI compliant. It is one of the things that I think you should be paying attention to as we look at the shift away from FHA to the conventional products and the fact that how the conventional products and the insurance related to them is actually getting cheaper. So there's a shift going on, and if you have not taken a look at the advantages that Yenta Guarantee can provide you, get over to their website, www.ug.corp.com, and you will be able to find out exactly everything I'm talking about. Great group of folks. If you have not met your local United Guarantee representative, I recommend you get a hold of them right away. Again, mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance, a company serving our industry now for 50 years, almost at 40, 50 years, hard to believe. Joe Farr, good to have you with us yeah. on the broadcast. What do you have uh, the way the market's lining up today? Well, it's it's been good, hasn't it? I mean, if yeah. you're willing to trade your 401k for more originations, you're pretty happy right now. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not so sure about that one, yeah. Well, it depends on how old you are, I guess. Yeah, so true. So, so uh, yeah, we we have seen a nice rally in mortgage rates. We're, we're about a uh, quarter of a point below where we started the month of January, and we're back to the levels that we were. You know, quite amazingly, we're, we're back close to the levels where we were in the summer, when uh, when the whole talk about the taper started uh, in early, I guess it started a little bit in, in late May, mid May, but certainly it took hold in in early June, and uh, we saw prices begin to fall from there until they decided not to taper in September. But we are all the way back to where where rates were about that time. So it's uh, been yeah. a nice rally, and the the yeah. the problem is that the Dow's lost uh, a, a bunch of what it had gained during that time same time period where. We're down 200 points today, down 700 points in uh, January, and so uh, 
I guess there's a price to pay for lower rates. Yeah, down 900 altogether since the first of the year. Is that? Am I saying that right? But it's down 1100 from its high. From uh, its high, yeah. 900 right. in, in just in. I mean, you look at you know, since that's January pretty, 1st, yeah. Yeah, January 1st is pretty amazing. Yeah, we, Logan's going to have some thoughts on all of that. I'm really looking Good. forward to getting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it too. Yeah. Uh, well, today, you know, it's more of the same today. We have uh, a weak ISM number this morning. Uh, stocks fell. MBS prices rallied as soon as the announcement came out. We're currently up about 4.30 seconds. We've seen favorable repricing today because we started the morning uh, down a little bit. And uh, and so we're off the highs, though. So if you got favorable price changes, you may, you may be thinking that it's uh, uh, we're off a little bit from that level. And so, you know, what happened pretty much the whole month of January happened today. It happened last week. We had weak data last week, weak home sales, weak durable orders, weak, uh, you know, rising jobless claims. Uh, we had concerns growing in the emerging markets and their ability to, you know, to withstand a global economic slowdown. We we've we have seen, as we mentioned, stock market prices fall and mortgage rates improve. Last week, mortgage rates improved by by uh, about five basis points. So, uh, the Fed meeting last week was really pretty much a non-event. Uh, they did announce a, a continuation of the taper, so we're going to be down another ten billion for purchases in February. Uh, that's a total of 20 so far, and we're stuck at 65. Plus, you know, no one talks about they're still replacing what runs off, so there's still more purchasing going on. It's just not net mm-hmm. growth. So, uh, you know, all in all, the statement had very little new to it. Uh, surprisingly, the the like Logan's thoughts on this, but the the Fed statement was a little more upbeat about the economy than what than what the market seems to be feeling right now. So. Uh, I think the market's got it more right than the Feds do, probably. Well, they may. Yeah. They may. Yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. So looking ahead to this week, Dave, we've got the jobs report. Uh, it'll be yep. very interesting to see, uh, given how far off everyone was in the December jobs report. It will be interesting to see where it comes out. Uh, that consensus is currently calling for 175 net new jobs. It will also be interesting to see what happens in the ADP report. Now that yeah yeah, I was going to say, was that the ADP report that you were referencing? We've got for jobs. Uh, no, it's uh, it's the actual non-farm payrolls report. Oh, there it is. On yeah, Friday. on Friday. On yeah. Friday. Yeah, I'm looking at so your the, website. So yeah, the ADP report comes out on Wednesday, and and mm-hmm. quite frankly, we I and it seems like the market was beginning to put a little more faith in the ADP report. You might remember it, it had a reputation that. of being terribly wrong for a long time, and as people were beginning to believe that there was some uh, usefulness to it as it relates to predicting the, the non-farm payrolls number, December was awful. You know, the, uh, the ADP report for the December, uh, for the month of December, Showed 238,000 uh, $238, new jobs. It exceeded consensus and it exceeded the prior month. When the job number came out, you'll remember it was 74,000 new right. jobs, well below the uh, consensus and well below the prior month. So uh, we'll get a look at ADP on Wednesday. I don't know how much anyone can attribute to it, though, given how far off it was last month. And then uh, during the week, we also get a uh, 
ISM services number. Uh, we had uh, uh, claims again will come out on Thursday, and, and we saw, saw a little increase in jobless claims last week, so we'll have to see if that continues. So um, that's it, Dave. It's uh, It's been a good little run here as far as mortgage rates no go. Kidding. Yeah, it really has. Fascinating. It's just the the you look at where the market's at. I'm really interested in getting Logan's thoughts in, in the hot topic segment because his comments are getting read and and uh, I'm really aligning with him a lot. So going to be paying attention to some of his commentary later in the broadcast. Joe, thank you so much for bringing sure. us this. And folks, if you do not have the uh, MBS quote line service, I got to tell you, it's, it's powerful. It's just because it's got what we need right when we need it. And uh, to learn more how you can get signed up. If you've never used it before, there's an offer out there still, Joe, is there not? Sure, you can try it free. Uh, uh, absolutely no uh, no obligations, and uh, see if you like it. If you like it, uh, there's uh, very easy terms to getting signed up. In fact, there are no terms. It's simple. No terms. Monthly. <laughs> it's a great service, folks. It's worth every dollar of it. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. Economic uncertainty has created a tremendous amount of market volatility for the past few weeks. Intraday price changes seem the rule rather than the exception. Have you been surprised by a midday price change? Have you been frustrated as you locked the loan just ahead of a price movement? Found it difficult to explain to a customer why the rate you quoted is no longer available? MBS Quoline can eliminate these frustrations. MBS Quoline monitors Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and Ginnie Mae mortgage-backed security prices in real time. It makes the information conveniently available on your desktop, smartphone, or by email or text message. These are the same prices used to set mortgage rates each morning and to issue midday price changes when significant movement occurs. With MBS Quoteline, you'll never be out of touch with the market. Whether you're in the office or on the road, see for yourself what MBS Quoteline can do for you. Go to MBSQuoteline.com to start a risk-free two-week trial. MBSQuoteline.com. 646-716-4972. The Lincoln Online Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lincoln. Good to have you with us. We've got Paul Marlowe on the phone, as we do all the time. Thrilled to have him here. And uh, uh, if anyone who's – I'm listening to some other noise. For those of you that aren't in the broadcast, uh, going live here, mute at the moment. But, Paul, good to have you with us. Good what, to be here. I'm looking, looking at your website, seeing as we have our guest in the Hot Topic segments from Southern California, your, your, uh, George Brooks has got a comment. says, California lenders, realtors seek FHA loan limit re- recalculation. No kidding. They're really getting hit by this. What else do you have in the news? Give us an update and rundown. Well, uh, the Broncos lost the Super Bowl uh, yesterday. And I think you Excuse and I for a little dance each other. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, what a, what a non-game. Uh, anyway, uh, what can I say? It was disappointing. Uh, also disappointing is uh, you just mentioned the FHA well, story. No, it's not I disappointing mean, for those of us who are, uh, you know, the Seahawks fans. So let's be yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Go, we'll go on. I'm sorry. What is going on? Well, listen. I mean, when when the FHA uh, loan limit numbers came out, um, you know, there was no surprise. But I guess the way the calculations are done, some of these areas uh, that uh, had uh, higher uh, caps. Uh, are seeing their caps reduce. Like, for example, um, there's some places where the cap is is, is going down from 500000 down to 355000 Now, that's nice if, if you're, uh, you know, um, I guess, uh, you know, in the private market, so to speak, and you think that as private lender you can offer the consumer uh, deals as good as FHA, 
the industry fears, the realtors, certain mortgage bankers, you know, they're afraid that this business is, uh, you know, uh, going to result in higher costs for consumers because FHA was such a good deal for some of these uh, consumers. Uh, so there's appeals going on on the FHA loan limits in California. Uh, that's a, something that's in progress and we'll continue to watch. So that's that's sort of a big issue to some degree. Um, you know, we'll see. Uh, we also got into this week uh, today's issue. Uh, there's the old um, uh, FIFA looking at uh, servicing fees. Everyone thought this was dead. Uh, the standard 25 basis points uh, servicing fee was the law of the land. Uh, FIFA looked at it and it looked like they basically had given up on it, but they have this new servicing project going on, which we reported about in IMF, um, IMF News and Inside Mortgage Finance. So they're going to take one more look, it looks like, at whether the service, uh, the minimum servicing fees for Fannie Freddie loans should be reduced. Uh, so that's a hot topic. Uh, Ralph Nader is holding a summit uh, in D.C. on Wednesday. It's called uh, Seeking Respect for GSE Shareholders. Nader himself is a GSE shareholder, and uh, you know more or less he wants he wants government compensation for uh, you know for the common and preferred shareholders. And as we all know, there's a couple lawsuits out there. Uh, so that's uh, an interesting topic. Uh, the other big news, that which came late last week, Credit Suisse uh, came out in the market with a new jumbo MBS. Uh, that's the first deal in two months, by the way. Uh, you know, there's real fears that, you know, the jumbo MBS market was sort of stillborn, but maybe it's coming back. And now, of course, today uh, you guys talked about rates. The 10-year was is at 2.60%. Uh, three weeks ago was at 3%. So that's interesting. We yeah. also crunched some numbers on Heckam Lending uh, for the first nine months of 2013. Heckam Lending rose 20%, so that's 20%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a huge number, but still, and you know, in the scheme of things, uh, it jacked up to 11.8 billion dollars. You know, there's some real niche players in Heckam Lending. Right, uh, there's no people, yes. who, yeah, who love the love the business. Some other interesting news is a new rate sheet out from New Penn Financial. Uh, they're offering. Uh, some FHA and VA loans with FICOs as low as 560 and 580. That's a product that they're offering through their uh, correspondence. So that's, that's sort of an interesting note because a lot of times people saying the minimum FICOs are in the range of 620 to 640, and here's NewPen out there offering FICOs that are as low as 560. Well, I tried to get more information on that at press time, but I couldn't. Uh looks like Freedom Mortgage is going into the private label space. Uh, that's an interesting development. Uh, Mountain View is out there with another servicing package, $2.4 billion. And a little piece of gossipy news. Uh, apparently, Consumer Financial Protection Chief Richard Cordray is going on Jeopardy this week. <laughs> so we threw that out there. I didn't, I didn't realize, but apparently 27, 8 years ago, he was a contestant on Jeopardy. And he won forty-five thousand dollars. That's enough to see that. No, 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 no. Uh, augment his, uh, his his income there. So that's 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 interesting. The one that caught my attention was the fact that Freedom is going into after the PHH business, especially after you look at Cordray's outfit is just launched a massive lawsuit against PHH and some of their business practices. So, you know. Well, that was tied to mortgage insurance and kickbacks on mortgage insurance. You know, yes. there's there's been a whole school of thought about private label, you know, whether, you know, who can offer it in such a way, you know, that they can make a go out of it. PHH is, 
Now they never tell us how much of their production or servicing is private label, but it's right. it's pretty well known in the industry that they're the largest private label uh, right. lender and servicer out there. Uh, I know Countrywide tried to buy them years ago, and they never came to terms, luckily, for PHH. Uh, And that's an interesting business. The problem with with doing private label is you get access to the client database, and then if you give your clients to PHH, well, they start cross-selling other stuff to them. Other services, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, so you've got to selectively pick who your your private label uh, provider is going to be for fear of, you know, protecting that client list. I mean, that's what it's all about. Especially if you... Yes, absolutely, especially if you're a bank, especially if you're a bank, but true of yeah, all, at all times. Yeah. Well, folks, you can get out to look at this great website, imfnews.com. I go there all the time to look at the latest stories. Paul and, uh, you know, Charles Wisnowski and, am I saying that right, Brandon uh, e., uh, Ivy, uh, George Brooks, yourself. I mean, there's a good group of you that are writing some really on the edge right there What as it happens reporting. So great, great job. Right, and thank you for having us. We got your ad back up up there to see the promoting the liking on lending show. I was thrilled to see that. I love that. I appreciate it so much. I always get a lot of feedback. So, anyone looking to advertise and get some exposure, I can guarantee you. Yeah, we have a couple. You, we have a couple, really, and I know you're, you've been kindly promoting us. We always appreciate that, David. Well, it's for good reason. It's a great you get you get results with your ad in there, so that's that's, that's worth every dollar of it, folks. So, Paul, thanks so much for being a part of the broadcast and giving us an update. You betcha. It's always a pleasure to have you on, friend. Alice Alvey, we love having and hearing from you. Although sometimes some of the things you share with us, we don't always like to hear about. Give us an update. What's going on in your world, Alice? Hi, Dave. Yep. You know, uh, it's funny. I have to laugh. Uh, Some folks, I think, just like listening to the Reader's Digest condensed version we have here so they don't have to actually read the regulation, right? Because I'm the only one on a treadmill last week watching Richard Cordray's testimony. (laughs) Most people are watch something much more interesting than that. But, um, you know, I just find it interesting to watch, uh, you know, watch him testify on the details of the CFPB. It's their semi-annual report. Um, And when you watch just the way the Republicans, you know, press, don't really even give him a chance to answer and are looking for a way to hang him. And then the Democrats, I mean, it's just all this politics. You're like, really, can can we just hear what the man has to say so we know what we're in for in the mortgage space? Um, So I just found it interesting. He really does, you know, say a lot of things in terms of trying to listen to the industry um, but we and and that we are looking at you know potentially more regulations definitely as Dave Stevens talked about last month or last week uh, in That's the coming right, yeah. years well, of this year we are going to definitely see some more. So what I wanted to talk a little bit about today was um, FHA's uh, mortgagee letter. This is really to me uh, the biggest news and what I consider to be a big part of my audience here for us is you know the what's going on legislatively what's going on that's going to really change our world and we had a proposed rule for this and now FHA's jumped straight to the mortgagee letter to tell us here are your new manual underwriting requirements effective April 21st this really is um, a game changer in many ways I think for any company that was working in the FHA manual underwriting space 
and trying to really kind of walk what I would call those old school lines. Uh, you know, I'm an old time underwriter. I've, you know, did plenty of that underwriting back in the early 80s, and where you know you took every one of FHA's guides and you were willing to take the highest risk point, and those loans did okay in in our past markets. But this mortgagee letter is really clamping down on on some underwriting constraints that I think warrant you know a long meeting making sure your salespeople really know how this is changing. Because even though it's for case numbers April 21st, what I read here, folks, is this is where FHA wants you to be now. A lot of these things are things we've talked about over the last couple of years in various risk analysis scenarios. And in particular, the one that jumps out at me is setting a firm cap of a 40 over 40 ratio for when a borrower has no debt. You know, I've listened to customers go up much higher, you know, when customers have yeah. their debt, uh, kind of the infamous, okay, how high is too high for ratios in that scenario. And I just think that FHA has wanted to be here. This is where performance works for them. And to think that you're going to magically wait until April 21st applications is not realistic. You've got to start uh, getting your salespeople on board now with understanding how these work. Uh, for any of you who still have uh, manual underwriting or have loans that you manually downgrade to uh, manual underwriting, or it, I think it also applies to automated underwriting underwriters who need to understand risk and need to understand when should I recognize things the system can't recognize. So there's a lot of education uh, in this mortgagee letter that I, I wanted to make sure folks were aware of. Um, so I Excellent. think we can, yeah. So I, I know, Dave, you talk to originators right now, and I'm glad to hear Joe say that rates are a little bit better, um, you know, because maybe they'll need that to offset the changes in the underwriting. There is. It's really interesting how they're uh, really getting down and defining. That, that, that seems like the discretionary part of us old underwriters. I'm joining you in that. I got a chums number that goes back to the, some of the earliest, earliest days. <laughs> I think yours was all letters, right? <laughs> yeah, all, mine, all, all numbers. All, all numbers. numbers. <laughs> yeah, mine's so old. It's all numbers. Yeah, that, that tells you how old it was. From uh, we got in on an early, early. But I mean, I look at this and I'm. What do you think? Have they really done this much risk? analysis on the portfolio and saying if it really gets above this it's just not going to fit for us at all is that what you're you're reading out of this or is it just they're just trying to generally tighten it up i mean risk-based um, underwriting I, I think at least my experience with working with fha in years past is they're really good at data you know and if you look at their actuarial report they provide all the statistics on you know where the defaults are occurring and you can see where those lines are and to me, what they're talking about in the letter here in these guidelines, just based on my experience in working with clients, uh, this is very reasonable. As a matter of fact, you know, even the concept that they would accept a 50 DTI in writing, which is miles away from any QM guideline that anyone has right. in writing, uh, you know, says that they're willing to still accept some of their role in housing of taking some higher risk, uh, you know, ratios, but that. So, so to me, yeah, there's homework behind this. It's not just something kind of trying to make a change for the uh, sake of trying to reduce their portfolio. Uh, I think there's a, a lot of reasonable thought into this. That's good. Well, it's it's great to 
hear what you bring us up to date on all the stuff going on in the industry, Al, especially in the regulation side of things. It's just it's it's kind of overwhelming. So we really value the analysis. It is. Some people, yeah. If, but I got to tell you, if you just think listening to this broadcast is enough, folks, you are in trouble. Don't go there for a second. You need to go get a hold of Alice and get her to do a review of your quality control, a review of your processes, and a really a thorough review of your compliance. That's that's a must get review. Steve, I want to so. add one. I want to add one quick thing about this. Um, heads up, because FHA is looking at using VA's guideline for uh, residual oh, income. Yeah. And that includes using child care as an expense, but it doesn't include VA's compensating factor of if you had a certain amount of residual income that that became a compensating factor. The mortgagee letter takes a lot of time to dissect because there's three compensating factors for this particular ratio bucket, four compensating factors for another ratio bucket. Uh, this is something that, you know, originators aren't going to be able to sit back on their heels and say, well, the computer's going to do it all for me. Um, VA loans are going to, I'm sorry, FHA loans are going to take a, a lot of expertise here, and they're going to have to make sure that they understand how to sell this and, and all the nuances within the manual underwriting. I, I think you have to know this to sell this product well. So true. Look forward to getting just uh, each week. I look forward to your report, staying up with what's going on. But, folks, you can get a hold of Alice and uh, want to learn more how to, get a, stay tuned and listen to this ad. We'll be right back. Looking for a full-service mortgage training and consulting company to fit exactly what you need? MortgageU is your ultimate education and information resource used by lenders to execute high-impact, high-quality trainings throughout the organization. MortgageU instructors are mortgage professionals providing classroom and web-based delivery and has the most sought-after training manuals in the country. MortgageU has a proven track record, performing customized training programs for hundreds and even thousands of employees both live and online on everything from applications through loan delivery and insuring. Call MortgageU today at 800-278-0200 or visit us online at mortgage-u.com. Welcome back to Lickin' on Lending. Our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here's David Lickin'. Someone just texted me, hey, Dave, you a little distracted? Yeah, we had some technology issues as I was launching the broadcast. Yeah, it does kind of get your attention. You're kind of wincing every time you touch something on the screen. Good to have you back with us. We've got Tony Garitano. He's bringing us the technology segment. And, Tony, I always think about technology when I start dealing with some of these issues. I go, where's Tony? But, uh, <laughs> uh, Tony, we were just talking about FHA. And, uh, you know, the fact that FHA is accepting electronic signatures, what is the significance of that? Well, I think, you know, I mean, we saw the IRS kind of um, open the door to electronic signatures with the 4506T effective January of last year. And a lot of my contacts were expecting, you know, e-signature adoption to explode. And um, FHA was really the last holdout in terms of um, accepting electronic signatures. And they had a project going to beta test, um, and a lot of people expected the announcement would come at the MBA annual last year, um, but um, it did not. Um, and I just got this mortgagee letter on January 30th um, that says, you know, they're, they're finally ready. Um, so I think that that's really good news for 
the use of electronic signatures in general, and you know, especially when volume is going down and and so are margins. You know, electronic signatures is a good way to get some very quick return on investment and cut your costs and become more efficient. So, I think it's welcome news. It's a little bit late, but you know, the government's always late. <laughs> yeah, they're never early on these things. But you know, what will this announcement mean for e-signature adoption? Do you think this is really a kind of a tipping point event where finally we can now see this? really start taking off in a much bigger way and future exp- I mean the past expectations be realized um well it's not mandated um it's just an option so it's still option so okay. um i think that mandates tend to make lenders move more than options <laughs> yeah. um yes. especially when it comes to technology um however i do think that Lenders are going to be looking to cut costs this year, and and this is you know it's a no brainer. I mean, if you want to cut costs and you can send out a document electronically and have it electronically signed, versus sending out a bunch of paper documents and storing them as paper, I mean the return on investment is just a no brainer, Dave. Mm-hmm. I mean you can quantify it, which a lot of lenders you know, are always looking to quantify the return on investment on their technology down to the penny. And, and, you know, when you can get rid of actual pieces of paper and shipping costs and and uh, storage costs, you know, those are bills that the lender can very quickly get rid of. So um, there's a lot of upside to it. So, you know, I expect adoption to continue, and I think it's going to be stronger this year as it was um, as compared to last year. Um, I think the one thing that that's really interesting is the um, the common securitization platform um, that FHFA is working on. Yeah, and, I could and my they they have not made any announcements on that. Obviously, it's in its infancy. But if uh, UMDP is any indication, once that is ready, you know I think it will come with a mandate. They're not going to, in in my opinion, again, this is just my opinion, but the government is not going to spend however many millions or billions of dollars on this common securitization platform and then tell lenders, well, you can use it if you want to. Right, um, right. You know, they're going to spend that money and they're going to say, you know, you've got to use it. You've got to do it this way. So um, I think that's going to be the big tipping point. Um, but this is certainly good news. I mean, every lender that was on the fence in terms of adopting e-signatures can really get off the fence right now if they want to. If they want to. Well, hopefully, I mean, there's no question. Everyone's looking for pickup where they can pick up ROI, return, you know, increase their margins, and especially as the contraction happens and the pressure is happening on margins. So it's a great way to do it. Tony, thanks so much for bringing us the update, folks. If you are not familiar with Tony Garitano's publication, Progress on Lending. Be sure to check it out at www.progressonlending.com and email Tony at Tony, T-O-N-Y, at progresslending.com. And uh, Tony, also the new publication is just, I get so much feedback anytime I publish in it, and it's called Today's Lending Insight. What and a cool um, publication. And then the fact that you add the audio file is connected to it. It's very, very, very innovative. Thank you, Dave. I'm glad that you, that you like it. We've gotten a lot of great response from it, and, and we're happy to to get your contributions every month. We get a lot of feedback from it uh, since we launched it in October. It's um, 
it's a very different type of publication, and people seem to to really like the insights. So um, it's well, it doing is. very it's well. Like the name implies, it's an insights, and it's it's really good. So it's an honor to write for it. So good to have you on the broadcast. You have a good rest of the week, Tony, and uh, look forward to having you back here next week. Thanks, Dave. Have a good week. You betcha. Profit Doctor, looking at ROI, we keep referencing it. Every time what's synonymous with a Profit Doctor is ROI. Alice and I just giggle every time we hear that word because your picture of your face you know, pops up in our mind. Profit Doctor, or Mr. also pro- the, the ROI uh, uh, reminder here. Good to have you on the broadcast. Well, thanks, Dave. I'm not sure that's a, that's a good thing for every time you think of ROI, you think of me, because sometimes the ROI assessment says, yeah, do a great idea. This is going to be a, a big win for us. <laughs> and sometimes our ROI assessment says, eh, no, change the variables, reconsider the outcome, Look at it a different way, or just flat out, no, that's a bad idea. And so sometimes, it's, sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. Well, I think the e-signature thing, thing is no. I think the e-signature thing is going to be a good thing if it once it gets to adoption, because it's definitely going to reduce costs and that no drop off. But you have. I want to talk a little bit briefly. I know you got some things to share, and I want to, don't want to get away from those. But I want to point out you're ramping up. To, is it tomorrow or Wednesday? The final. Uh, a series in the Campus MBA webinar that's been backed by popular demand on accounting. Give us some thoughts. How's this webinar gone? Is there a general sense that you pick up from these webinars of the question being asked that people are still struggling to understand ROI, accounting, everything related to well, financial are, 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 industry? Yeah, people are people are getting their their arms around ROI more and more because of some of the information that, that we provided and because people are just more aware of, especially as we've had this recent dip and now recovery in rates and that the refi went away and who knows, maybe it's going to come back. Maybe it's not, but nevertheless, we've got to really manage our business and watch our pennies and our nickels and our dimes. And so by having a strong ROI assessment, you really help to make the difference between uh, what projects to go forward with, what uh, strategies to implement. I, I tell you, Dave, if you look at the success of the big companies, the Fortune 500 or the top 10 banks in the country, I used to be with Bank of America, as you know, and we we always ran assessments on everything. I mean, we, we it's called a risk-adjusted return on capital. It's basically an ROI, and we ran that on every venture, every strategic decision that was made was based on uh, thoroughly investigated assumptions and anticipated return on investment. Every Fortune 500 company does that. They've got a room full of Stanford and Harvard MBAs running around calculating things, and that's how you run successful businesses. These successful businesses are successful not because they're lucky, but because they apply the business principles that have been around for years and years and years. This isn't new stuff to calculate your decisions, to have reasonable, reasonably defendable assumptions in, in the model that you then calculate what your outcomes are going to be. That's part of having the roadmap to success in a business. One of the things that we talk about in our firm is have a roadmap for success, understand where the returns are going to come from and how they're going to be generated. And so that, that actually is an interesting segue into our webinar that we're running because we're talking about accounting and we're talking about 
hedging now. Last week we talked about hedging, and this 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 week in our last session, we're going to talk about hedge accounting, and hedging and hedge accounting, I think are probably the some of the most complicated aspects of mortgage banking, and and it, it becomes very very challenging to follow the outcomes and. It's like you know when you want to, when you have a roadmap for success, you want to be able to look at the roadmap like it's a treasure map to the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. But the rainbow isn't elusive and keeps moving. You can actually get there with a good financial roadmap. And when you have a good financial roadmap, you know where you're going to go and you can read the map. One of the challenges we've had people really struggle with is that when they get their financial reports that are done by the CPAs on a generally accepted accounting principles basis, sometimes the the roadmap doesn't make any sense because it's written in code. GAAP accounting has a code for recognizing mortgage banking revenue, and that code can sometimes make things seem like they're upside down. You can have volumes go up and profit go down. You can have volume go down and profit go up, and you're wondering what's happening. Why is there no correlation between the volume of loans closed in my in a month and the profit reported on the gap financials in that month. So true. And that's what we're getting into this next week. We're going to explain why that happens and the, almost more importantly what to do about it. You have to have gap financials. You have to give your commercial bank warehouse line lenders gap financials. You have to report your NMLS information and, and you have to have gap. You can't not have gap. But there's a way to generate financials in a way that make it so that you really can understand the code to read the treasure map. We don't want to have a coded treasure map. We want people to have a treasure map that is easy to read. And so that's what we're getting into more and more. Um, that's what we say at every one of our webinars is we want to have easy and simple to read financial statements. And so that's what we're teaching people how to do. It's good stuff, folks. If you want to learn more about it, head out to the MBA. Or you can still sign up for this last webinar series. You can buy them one by one. Uh, you can log, log in. But you, uh, if they're not sold out, be sure to go over to Campus MBA. Look for Mortgage Accounting. That is the session that Andy will be uh, and the Profit Doctor will be giving out. Excellent stuff. It's, uh, well, there's one other quick point, Dave, if I could just mention. Yep. I want to remind folks that um, as we're talking about hedging and as we're talking about hedge accounting and all of the aspects that go into hedging, one of the things that if you are currently a OCC-regulated commercial bank, if you have a pipeline that you're hedging with TBA securities using a, any kind of a hedge model to calculate your position recommendation, which is what everybody's going to be doing. It's like if you're in mortgage banking hedging, you're doing this because you have to because that's how it's done. But the OCC requires you to have a hedge model validation. And that's a requirement. We do that for clients all around the country every year. And we, uh, a lot of times, with the help from our good friends over at Secondary Interactive, Optimal Blue Secondary Services, get this model tweaked, get the information put together in a way that is then validated. And we issue these reports to commercial banks around the country for their hedge model validation. I want to mention that because the winds of change are blowing, and the CFPB has stated many, many times that. They're going to be laying, leveling the playing field. Part of that leveling the playing field means that commercial banks have had to have have had to have their risk models validated. I'm expecting that mortgage banks, who are also regulated by the CFPB, as we all know, are at some point going to have to have their risk models 
validated. So don't be surprised when that happens. Just do it right the first time like we always say and avoid the penalties and fines that come from the CFPB. And that's it, Dave. Good job, folks. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Logan Motoshami in just a minute, folks. Stay tuned. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Good to have you with us, everybody. We've got Logan Motoshami on with us. Logan is an individual I've started tracking on Facebook as I looked at his analysis of the markets, his commentary. And if you listened to last week's broadcast, David Stevens was referencing how he and Nick Timrose was having uh, – uh, discussion, I think is how he said it, it sounded like more like a debate, on about credit availability. And I really like some things that Logan was posting in that dialogue. It was really good to have his, get his insights, receive it. More importantly, for many of you that argue that you cannot make a difference, it's difficult having your voice be heard, I'll tell you, Logan is a wonderful exception to that rule. He's finding a way to get his voice heard, and if he could do it, you can do it. He's a senior loan manager at AMC Lending Group there in Southern California. He's, uh, it's a firm that a company that his family started. It's been around uh, providing mortgage services since 1987. He's an active trader in the stock market. That becomes evident. He's been doing that since 1996. That's why I like the guy, just a trader at heart. Uh, he also has other passions about our political system in this country. He's spoke, outspoken about it. That has ended up getting him to be a financial contributor on Benzinga, B-E-N-Z-I-N-G-A.com. You can see his commentary over there. Or just go to www.logan, and it's spelled M-O-H-T-A-S-H-A-M-I.com. He has a financial blog there. He is a guy that I just enjoy reading and studying. It's a real honor to have you on the broadcast, Logan. Good to have you here. Good to be here. Pleasure is all mine. Well, as you know, I've been following you and what you've been doing and how you express your views on Facebook. And so, you know, first of all, I just want to let our listeners get a chance to get to know you just briefly. You're a loan originator. Uh, You're working in in a business that that your dad started, if I understand correctly. Yes. uh, He uh, he started the company in 1987, and I uh, joined on in the year 2000. Um, I got into finance about uh, 1996, which you know I always categorize myself as Generation Bubble um, because as soon as I got into finance, <laughs> all I've seen is one financial bubble to another financial bubble to another financial bubble, and we're the first uh, you know economy in modern day history to have three rolling financial bubbles in an 18 year period. So I've uh, been doing mortgages, doing equity, and then uh, just uh, in 2010 started writing about. 
politics and economics, and um, you know, one thing led to another, and now you know, Bloomberg Financial asked me to give the 2014 housing predictions. Uh, it's a real honor, yeah. A few weeks ago, yeah. So it's a real honor. You mean, and I think it's the the thing that if you have something to say, it's intelligently presented, and certainly yours is. I then you're going to get voice, and I think a great place to start. You started on social media. That's how I ran across you. So I friended you because I saw some posts someone else had reposted of yours, and it's fascinating. Uh, you have you studied Chinese history, and you wanted to teach that and be a high school basketball coach. How do you go from a student of Chinese history and wanting to be a basketball coach to being in the mortgage? business and uh, having the, the success on commenting about the economy as you have well you know being a history major you have to rely just on facts and uh, i think that's a great transition into the business world and for me you know uh, um, passion was always basketball and, and, and being a high school basketball coach for seven years that was where i was going but then again you know uh, student uh, teacher uh, pay especially at the uh, early levels wasn't that great so i uh, gave that uh, a hope up pretty quickly once i got into finance and you know it it really comes from just a deep passion of getting the truth out there and and my, my main thing main reason why i wanted to be a, a financial blogger was i thought there was so much misinformation about the housing market and about economic trends in general that i just wanted to get out there and, and at least give a view and one thing led to another, and like you said, you know, if you, if you have good information, if you have good factual information, and you can be able to debate people, you know, people will listen and learn, and one thing will lead to another, and you know, you'll get financial media companies to come out there and ask for your opinion. Well, I think one of the things that really launched the discussion with David Stevens and to Mike Tim, um, Nick Timros of the Wall Street Journal was you challenged a statement that one of them published, I think Nick published it, about the availability of credit. Get into what brought you into that discussion and how that went uh, somewhat viral over the, not this, this past weekend, but the weekend before. Yeah, I've always had this uh, core thesis. Actually, my main core thesis on housing in general is that we simply don't have enough qualified home buyers, and it, and it has nothing to do with tight lending standards. It's just more of this economic cycle. Uh, debt to income ratios are too high, liability to incomes are too high, just because incomes haven't been growing that well in this country. So I've been fighting with the Wall Street Journal for almost uh, uh, two years now uh, about my thesis, and then. Uh, David got involved, and whenever whenever we get you know multiple people involved in Twitter, and you know we get a debate, I I just love that. I I think for me personally, just to have somebody want to debate me on this, because really I don't have too many people that want to take me on on this. Because when you're in the business, and you have a you know an idea of how economic cycles work, you could really make an argument that's going to be very hard for people to counter. And I think if you go back and see the Twitter debate, I think you know I I make a very strong case that it isn't tight lending standards that's preventing the housing market from recovering. It's just we're coming off a huge household debt leverage bubble. It bursted. Uh, we have a lot of debt, you know, that's out there on, on the consumer side. That needed to be deleveraged. And incomes aren't growing. And when you have an economy yeah. based on debt and incomes don't grow, this is what you get. Well, you even got Nick Timros to make concessions towards you, which – Knowing Nick as I do, uh, as well as I do, you just don't get that to happen unless you're arguing really solid facts. Uh, Joe, Andy, and Alice, anytime you want to jump in here with some questions for Logan, uh, just feel free to do so. It, it's, uh, but Logan, let's uh, as we talk about this, I would like to have your thoughts on employment. We look. Joe has this great website. 
It's mbsquoteline.com, and we're all looking at it constantly. And he, he lists out what the the, the, the latest, uh, what's being published today on the economic data that's coming out. And I look at this employment data, and you look at unemployment, and this is just not getting it. I, I look at what U6, we should be looking at U6, and it's even beyond that. It's just people leaving entirely the workforce. Give us some thought, your thoughts, analysis on employment data. Well, I'm a big demographics guy, and you know, I pretty much every economic report that is out there, I look it up, I chart it up, and I look back in history. And demographics have been falling since the year 2000. You know, we're we're becoming a mature society. We're going to have a lot of people uh, uh, going to be collecting Social Security, Medicare, and that group is in such volumes that you know we're going to get a natural tendency of people retiring. Uh, but besides that fact, if you look at the charts on this, we have a lot of people going back to school as well. You know, the student loan debt level charts just almost went parabolic from 2007 and, uh, and on. So a lot of people are not only retiring, but they're also going back to school, and then you have the standard people who just stopped looking to work. So I, I think it's, 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 a little, it's a little bit more bigger than just people not uh, – uh, or just leaving the, the, the labor participation force because there's no jobs out there. It's a multiple of three. You know, we have, we have an aging population. We have a massive amount of people going uh, back to school. And we have the standard people who are just uh, stopped looking at work. So, yes, U6 is very useful because it gives you a really good picture. The unemployment report from the BLS is, to, to me, almost useless in this cycle yeah. because we have such a vast, and, uh, vast uh, labor participation falling rate. But about a year ago, I pointed out to Bloomberg that I believe the Federal Reserve is going to have to change their policy because 6.5% unemployment rate is going to get here faster than they thought without the 200 to 250K jobs coming in monthly. Fascinating. That contributes to the generation bubble. You, you say there's a generation bubble. Just touch on that briefly, and then I want to get into subsidies and how we have a housing and educational subsidies. Well, if you look back from 1996 and on, what have we seen? You know, we saw the technology stock market bubble that created a wealth effect model that people spent and they thought they were wealthy, which really they weren't. And then, you know, the Federal Reserve cut interest rates, and then we had to find another bubble to, to make us think that we're wealthy. It's the wealth effect model that the Federal Reserve believes in. And we had a housing bubble, except the housing bubble is a lot more different than debt. And debt takes a lot, a lot of time to deleverage. So we've gone from the stock market bubble to the housing bubble, and now what I consider the sovereign government debt bubble, bubble yield getting down to 1.35 in 2012. To me, that was the top of the bond, mar <clears throat> bond market, the Spanish default fear trade money. So we have all this. We've gone from one bubble to another to another, and we just don't know how to get out of it because we yeah. believe in a system where well, if, you, if, you're, if your financial assets are rising but your incomes aren't, well, um, you should be able to consume more. And I think that's just a horrible economic model for the long term because it, it hides the problem is that incomes aren't growing in this country like they should. And that's the bigger picture is globalization, technology, debt, demographics. I call those the four horsemen of the uh, American econo economic apocalypse. We have a 100-year cycle from 1968 to uh, 2068, and we're going to you know, pay the price for that, which means slower growth, incomes um, not rising as fast as they want, and an aging population that we have to find a way to pay for. But you're not a gloom and doomist. You're not out there saying we have this massive crash coming. How, how do we – is there hope for us getting out off of, off of these subsidies? Housing is subsidized. We know that. 
the education is subsidized, and tuition, you pointed out in our, when we were discussing before, earlier this morning, is up 1,300% because of the government subsidies. We really don't help the economy with these kind of subsidizations of any of these, any area. Well, it's, you know, it's well-intentioned, but I mean, if you look at uh, tuition costs, I mean, we subsidize college. You know, we give these low-interest loans, and what happens is we have legions of people going to school, which is a great thing. You need, you need to have college education for sure. But, you know, a 1,300% rise in tuition costs from 1980, that's not sustainable. And, no. and, and in housing, you look at – the housing market is so subsidized. We have the mortgage interest deduction. Uh, we have FHA loans, low down payment, low FICO scores. We do everything we can. And what's happening right now? We rates have not even broken above 5% since 2011, and we have the weakest amount of mortgage buyers in any cycle that I could remember, and it's just because incomes aren't growing. But what has happened is that the inflation, and I, I'm a big guy, look at housing inflation. It has gone, some areas of the U.S. are up 20 40%, and incomes are barely running at 2%. That's not good economics. No. A lot of people would tell that it's being a recovery, and I look at that as there's no recovery in this housing cycle. You have a housing inflation story, but uh, low inventory, high cash buyers, low rates. We're still feeling the impact of the housing bubble before. I, I, I wrote an article saying the housing bubble hangover, and we have so many homes that are underwater, not enough construction, and that's the main reason why you see this housing inflation. It's nothing to do with this economic cycle. Joe, you you're reporting about this all the time, and Andy, you're always commenting on the economy and have some great perspective. Either one of you have some questions for Logan at the moment? Yeah, I'd like to ask Logan about the Fed and the Fed's policy, the bond bond program, and and the path they're on now. Do you see that path changing, or do you see it? Uh, and, well, and, and, we'll go ahead. Go ahead. Um, if you if we look at QE and what's happened in this cycle, when QE one ended. The stock market fell, but yields fell. Uh, when QE2 ended, the stock market fell and yields fell. So I wasn't this optimist that the 10-year note was going to explode to 35 to 4%, because what have we seen right now? We saw a big move from 160 to 3% on a 10-year. That, to me, is an overcrowded trade, and people wanted to get out of it. Uh, a lot of foreign countries needed to get out of their positions as well. But, again, uh, I look at what the 10-year note is telling me, and we're starting this taper process. The 10-year note, the bond market doesn't believe that the U.S. economy is that strong because after the November's jobs report, uh, where that was a strong number, the 10-year note mm -hmm. changed course because it was always going higher on stronger news. At the end of the day, that 10-year note fell down. After the December jobs report, the long uptrend on the 10-year note was broken, and for me, we're in this kind of this channel between 247 and 3%. The bond market's telling you this, they don't believe these strong uh, GDP numbers in Q3 and Q4 because a lot of it was on consumption. And for me, you know, t technically what I like to look at is falling saving rates and credit card balance expansion. If that happens, which we saw, that's not a good sign. That's not a good sign that the economy has enough consumption that can last to this 3%, because I don't think we're naturally 3% GDP country anymore. So I do think the Fed is going to get out of the QE process because they don't want that Fed balance sheet getting up to 5 to $6 trillion. Interesting thoughts. I want to spend some time talking. Andy, do you have anything, uh, Prophet Doc, do you have anything for uh, any questions? 
Well, I've got actually I have three questions, but two of them I think may be too controversial for the the show. <laughs> um, you are a controversial guy. Well, I'm curious about his thoughts about Yellen, just kind of generally. Yeah, that's, that's, headed in that's, what, that's a great question. And uh, then we'll, we'll, Yellen to me is just a more dovish Ben Bernanke, and I could see why President Obama wanted Larry Summers because they they don't want kind of the ext- extended. Bernanke model, that the wealth effect ma- uh, model is the way to go. And actually, uh, that was uh, probably my first big interview with Bloomberg, because when Bernanke came out last year, if one of you said minutes, and he said, well, lending standards are too tight, and that's the reason that QE velocity isn't working. And it drove me ballistic, and I'm saying that's impossible when you have 625, go 3.5% down payment loans available. And Yellen, to me, is just another version of that uh, Fed thinking that you know, if we just make rates low enough, demand will come. And if you look at this entire economic cycle, it didn't work. It's just because incomes aren't strong enough, and there's your loan growth demand, which is not happening at all. In fact, loan growth is looking very pathetic lately. So I, that's what I think of Yellen. She's just another version of Branke. Well, we can, uh, well, I'm sure there's other things we can, we can talk about. I'll, I'll – you want me to tee up my controversial topics, and you decide yeah, if you want to take them on or not? I got to hear it. You tease us with it. You got. You're gonna go. You look at that. We got. We, we've got. We got literally two minutes. We can cover it on. So go. We we can cut off the controversy if it gets too. I feel like. Oh, I feel like it. the the uh, the you know Alice and I are 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 our peers in in the um, in mortgage banking. We've been in there both, but about the same. But I feel like she's the. She's my my twin sister over there, and I I picked up the egg, and she's saying, "Throw it, throw it, go ahead, throw it, throw oh, yeah, it." Yeah, come on, go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, just, I'm so, sure Logan can handle anything you would want to ask. He sounds up for the challenge. Um, well, okay, here you go, here you go. There, there's two of them, and you started talking about the aging society, and whenever we start talking about the aging society, everybody worries about the stability of of um, Social Security and the FICA taxing and the FICA tax base and the shrinking tax base and blah, 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 blah. And so I've always had the perspective about um, underground tax, the underground taxation that, that doesn't occur because the things that could be taxed are illegal. One of them is marijuana, and the other one is immigration, because <laughs> there's all of these workers who are working and getting paid that aren't getting taxed and aren't paying FICA, and there's all this distribution and sales of illegal substances like marijuana that's not getting taxed. So there's not much time left, but I, there's, there they are. There's the illegal, illegal activity questions. Oh, we just here's, hit the Super Bowl, the two pot. Go ahead, Luke. Yeah, here's, here, here's uh, there is no way we could get enough revenue to pay for Social Security, Medicare, and the net interest payments. In fact, I think by 2024, 2026, mandatory payments will exceed government revenue. We are going to have to borrow money every year, especially years 2022 to 2052 because of the demographic profile. So to me, the entire credit system that the world revolves around is one big giant Ponzi scam. Seventy percent of our government debt is ours. Um, you know, there's no way that anybody's going to force us to pay. We're the biggest economy. We're the biggest military. And I think that at some point, it could be 40, 50, 60 years from now, we might be looking at 40 to $45 trillion of debt with the size of the economy, roughly about 32. And even if we taxed everybody, you know, who, who's, who bought marijuana or we taxed all the immigrants, the math is just not there. We lost the debt cycle a long time ago. So the question is, do we ever see rate inflation? And 
for now, we're not going to see it, you know, just because we just don't have any demand in the, in, in the economy. But make no mistake, we lost the debt game a long time ago. We could tax everybody all we want. We just have an enormous amount of people that are going to be collecting Medicare and Social Security, and we're just going to be borrowing every single year, especially from that 2022 to 2052 period. Well, I, I, I agree with you. I hate your answer, but we, the next step then is monetization. And when does that happen? I know, Dave, the music's starting, but this is just getting yeah. fun. This is just starting to get fun. Logan, we've got to have you back. I love reading your articles, folks. You can go out and check it out. Logan, M-O-H-T-A-S-A-H-A-M-I.com. Check out his blog. It's really good stuff. Logan, good to have you with us. We've got to have you back. We Thank just you. got this really kicked off. Appreciate it. Folks, have a great week. We're going to be back next week with the chief economist of the NBA. Going to have Mike Frattentoni on with us. Have a great week, everyone. Talk to you next week.